Welcome to All My Children Wear Fur Coats with Peggy Hoyt. Our goal is to keep loved pets in loving homes by educating pet parents about the importance of ensuring every pet has a forever home. For more information about creating a legacy for your pet or to listen to archive shows, visit AnimalCareTrustUSA.org or LegacyForYourPet.com. Join your host, author, estate planning attorney, and animal advocate, Peggy Hoyt. Hello, pet lovers. Welcome to All My Children Wear Fur Coats. I'm your host, Peggy Hoyt. This show is brought to you by the law offices of Hoyt and Brian, where we create estate plans for pets and their people. Also brought to you by Animal Care Trust USA, a national nonprofit dedicated to keeping loved pets in loving homes. We do this by educating pet parents about the importance of getting a pet trust for their loved pet. We also provide pet trustee services. You can find out more at actforpets.org. Today, our special guest is Katrina Shaddix. She is the executive director of Bear Warriors United. And I'm gonna tell you a little bit about Katrina. She started her career in bear rights advocacy during the 2015 bear hunting season where she successfully organized a campaign to stop the hunt of the Florida black bear. In 2020, Katrina's bear poaching bill was passed with 100% bipartisan support and was signed into law by Governor DeSantis. Now her efforts are including the nutrient pollution crisis in the Indian River Lagoon, where she is pressing legislators to expand the Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission's feeding program for our manatees. In addition to being the executive director of Bear Warriors United, she serves on several boards, including the Foundation for Florida Environmental Protection, the Central Florida Expressway Environmental Advisory Group, serving also as the chair of the Environmental Advisory Board for Seminole County and the president of Sustainability Leaders Initiative. Wow, that's a mouthful. But <laughs> welcome, Katrina. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm still doing this first day back after all of the trauma of Hurricane Ian. Yeah, we've had a lot of fun here in Florida, haven't we? Oh, yeah. It's, uh, I feel bad for the animals. People too, but, you know, I know there are some horses that are on properties that need dry land, so I'm here, you know, we have 10 extra acres out where I am in Geneva, so if anyone has horses, they need to put there temporarily, you know, give me a call. Sure, and I know HSUS has been trying to help out, and Wild Horse Rescue has been trying to help out with horse situations, so if people are aware of horses in need, um, they can reach out to those two organizations as well. Okay, great. Lots going on in your world. Um, how do you think the manatees fare during our hurricane crisis? Well, unfortunately, the manatees just had uh, doused with another 7 million gallons of raw sewage since the hurricane. And if you remember in December 2020, that's when the city of Titusville's water treatment plant had this big spill that was over 7 million gallons. And that went into the Indian River Lagoon, raw human sewage. And this has to do with a lot of the overdevelopment. It's exactly where it comes from. And um, so we can tie in the damage to our wildlife and to our ecosystems with what we're doing. Um, you know, what we're doing with approving all of this development exacerbates the damages that hurricanes and the flooding um, does do. And like I said, the, the manatees can't catch a break. They got the big pollution uh, dump on them in December 2020 that led to the algal bloom, which led to just wiping out any remaining seagrass and their starvation deaths. So we have 
thousands of manatees out of starved to death in the Indian River Lagoon because our human sewage pollution has killed their food. And that is just something that I don't know if we could ever get forgiveness for doing. Probably not. And I bet it's something that a lot of people really are not aware of mm -hmm. um, because we tend not to think about how our uh, sea life feeds themselves. Right. Um, I mean, they don't have somebody dropping food in. Mm -hmm. And and I know you've had some efforts of trying to do that and, and got, even got stopped from doing some yeah. feeding programs. Yeah, we did. I, I started uh, Stop the Starve. And I did a food drive last Christmas. Was it last Christmas? Has it been two years or one year? Yes. Gosh, one year. It'll be one year in December where I did a Christmas food drive for the manatees because you know, I begged them for months, you know, feed the manatees, feed the manatees. And, and FWC and U.S. Fish and Wildlife, like, no, we're not going to feed the manatees. And then uh, my organization filed a 60-day letter of intent to sue the Department of Environmental Protection for their part in permitting the development, which led to the contamination of the blue uh, of the Indian River Lagoon. And once that 60-day letter of intent was filed, all of a sudden this feeding program was approved. I'm like, okay, if that's one good thing. Um, and they decided to feed them romaine lettuce and which we know romaine lettuce cannot sustain our manatees. And we know this because even in captivity and rehab areas like in, in SeaWorld, they include monkey biscuits for supplemental uh, nutrients to the, to, the, um, to the lettuce. And so I had asked them, okay, if you're gonna feed them lettuce, that's great. Great first step, can you at least feed them the monkey biscuits with that so they get the nutrients? Mm -hmm. And their response was, well, we're not gonna feed them that because it's a dehydrated product. And we don't know if we're gonna give them fresh water at the Florida power plant. So we don't wanna give them these nutrients that they need because it might impact their digestive system. I'm like, my gosh, why is this even a question as to whether or not you're gonna give them fresh water? This is an endangered species dying of starvation. And so I, I've been saying for a year that it, it's government red tape, it's bureaucracy that's killing our manatees because we know they need their natural food stores, hyacinths and hydrillas that has the, the nutrients. They wouldn't have to do additional supplements like monkey biscuits if they were giving them their natural food source. But once they did agree to feeding them the romaine lettuce, I said, let's do a food drive. And within two hours, people actually drove to my place in Geneva, which you know is not easy to get to, it's like Chiliota, over 300 pounds, I think it was 300 pounds of organic romaine lettuce was donated by all of these wonderful people and uh, for the manatees. And then I contacted the FWC. I'm like, you're not going to believe this. We got 300 pounds in two hours. I'll bring it over. And they said, nope, I'll stop you right there. We're not going to accept your lettuce. So it was just, it's been very frustrating. And like I said, it, it is just red tape of government bureaucracy that is stopping the, the things that need to be done for our manatees. So I'm still pressuring them to give uh, the manatees hyacinths and hydrilla. And I've been working for about six months on that. And my organization has had some really great help with our donor and with uh, our legal team. And we were actually issued the first ever, um, it's a license from FDAC. I haven't announced this publicly, but um, it's from the Florida Department of Agriculture. 
And it was a very rigorous um, qualification pro process that we went through to get this. And we actually have been given a permit to mechanically harvest the hyacinth and hydrilla and transport the, the food to the manatees. We're just waiting on the FWC and U.S. Fish and Wildlife to say, yes, we'll use your permit, bring us the food, we will physically give it to the manatees. And they've been resisting since June on that. So it's been a lot of frustration. It's like we have the answers, we have the solutions, we have millions of people ready to help, to pitch in, but we have two government agencies that are roadblocking us. And, um, and I don't understand why. I don't know if I'll ever... If we'll ever know why, but we've gone above and beyond to get these manatees fed their natural food sources and to save them and to try to stop this local uh, extinction event, which is what's happening. So we have another, you know, November is going to be here before we know it. And, uh, you know, they will continue to starve if they continue to just be fed romaine lettuce. Because as you know, you know, when we go on a diet, what do we eat a lot of? Salads because it has about zero nutritional value, unless you're doing arugula or something like that. And from what I know, the manatees don't eat arugula, so we need to give them their natural food sources. But we're still trying. We're not going to give up. And uh, we are filing the uh, the complaint at the, by the end of, what is it, October? Yeah, that hurricane got messed up. By the end of this month, we'll have our complaint filed against the Department of Environmental Protection, and that's not asking for financial uh, re retributions is just asking that they clean the waters up quicker. Um, they can, they need to increase um, the speed at which they're trying to clean up this and, and to reduce the nutrients going in. And nutrients is a nice word for our poop and pee. Let's reduce that. So we're just asking them with this lawsuit to reduce those nutrients quicker and to clean up the water quicker because that will grow the grass back. So there's so many different angles that go into saving the manatees, but um, we're trying everything. And uh, you so, certainly are. So I mean, yeah. thank you for uh, your continued efforts. I can, I can see that that would be frustrating. And it's super frustrating. When you have the money and you've got the permit and you're like, we have people ready to do this. And they say, no, let's not feed the manatees. Let's not feed a starving animal the food that they need. It's mind-boggling. Yeah, that seems crazy. So and it's not, um, you know, I think it's higher up decision makers. We have so many wonderful law enforcement and biologists in the FWC and U.S. Fish and Wildlife, and so many of them support this, but they're being, you know, their mouths are taped shut. They need their jobs. So they're kind of depending on the citizens to raise a lot of cane and uh, get this done. So we're gonna keep fighting for the people that can't speak out because it needs a drum. We're gonna keep fighting for the animals and hopefully we'll have some success here in the next 60 days. Yeah, to be the voice. Right. Yeah. So this, I think this should be good news to the typical citizen mm -hmm. um, because it is really their voice that's gonna make the difference here. It is, yes. We're gonna start a, a public a PR campaign to pressure FWC and um, and I didn't tell them this, so they, they know this is coming. We've given them, gosh, over two months to use our permit. We even offered to pay for the experimental um, mechanical harvesting, the transport, and giving it to the manatees. We know where some of the manatees are. Um, and just basically have all of the wrinkles ironed out before November 1st comes, and that's when the, the migrating herd comes back. Okay. And that's when they're going to be in the Indian River Lagoon at the power plant, and that's when they're going to continue to starve. Because right now they're out in places like the St. John's, 
in different places that haven't had the ecosystem collapse that Northern Indian River Lagoon has. So now they're gonna be coming in where there's no food. And then the ones that are lucky enough to get food are gonna get romaine lettuce. So um, like I said, we're gonna start the PR campaign and we're gonna do it in a nice way, but we're gonna be very firm because we know this is the right thing to do. Biologists know this is the right thing to do. We actually have permission from a government agency to do this. We just need to get everybody on the same page. Well, and I think that um, that's been your general modus operandi, if you will, which is to be nice, but be firm. Yeah, the carrot and the stick. Right. You offer carrots for doing good things and, and all, you can't go in just, you know, yelling and shaking your fist because I know if I was up on the dais and I was listening to public comment, I would kind of turn people out who weren't trying to do this in a nice, rational manner to begin with. And, um, and then you got to use the stick. And uh, um, the stick can, instead of be, you know, yelling and wasting energy or doing a protest on the sidewalk that does not inconvenience any of the decision makers, a stick can also be um, a very successful tool of a lawsuit. Right. And I found those to be very effective or just the threat of a lawsuit or just filing a 60-day letter of intent gets a lot more of attention than screaming on the, you know, the street corners with the protest signs, which those were good, you know, back in the day when we're trying to stop the circus and stuff like that. They do have their place. But um, like I said, the, the threat of a lawsuit or a lawsuit has been very impactful. And I use that as the stick now instead of yelling. And it's, it's nice to have other people being um, the bad cop. And I can come in very sweet because I used to be the bad cop and you're going to do this and do that and threaten and whatever when we were trying to stop the bear hunt. And now, um, you know, I can come in and say in a very nice way, these are some awesome solutions and y'all can be the hero. Um, you know, keep us out of it. We don't even have to be acknowledged here. We're giving you the tools to be heroes. And, and that's okay. And a lot of people, you know, that does work a lot of times. But like I said, it looks like we're going to have to use a stick in about 29 days. That's coming with a lawsuit. <laughs> well, and, and it makes me wonder, do you need to change the name of your organization from Bear Warriors to just Animal Warriors? Right. I don't know. You know, our mission statement does now include all Florida Native wildlife. Um, because it has morphed from in 2015, when we were trying to stop the, the bear hunt, which we have successfully, there's still always a, a, a small threat. But I think now I'm pretty comfortable um, hoping that there will never be another bear hunt again, because the FWC, which is Florida Fish and Wildlife, they manage our wildlife, which means they have to keep them at what they feel is an acceptable level of their population so they don't get overpopulated. Well, now, as we know, which is another thing that affected the manatees, it's also affecting bears and every other creature in the forest. We have um, city and county commissioners that are approving the rezoning of these agriculture lands in our forest. And instead of having these cow pastures where gopher tortoises live, and instead of having these forests where bears live and our pollinators, they're completely clear cutting those. They're adding impervious services, which are rooftops, our sidewalks, driveways, and roads. And this is not only displacing our wildlife, but it's killing our wildlife. They're getting killed on the roads. A lot of the wildlife is getting killed when they take these trees down. I mean, from squirrels to birds, gopher tortoises, 
Uh, we know builders that entomb gopher tortoise. There's so much death and destruction that's coming from these urban sprawl developments that the FWC will never have to have a bear hunt again because there's so much deforestation and loss of habitat. The, the um, mortality quota is met, if not succeeded or exceeded every year with the number of bears that are killed on the roads, the number of bears that are killed for being nuisances, for going into trash cans, the number of bears that are poached. We have a huge poaching problem that's not being acknowledged. So when the FWC um, has stated they want 20% of the bears to die every year, that apparently keeps them in check. I disagree with that because we know that bears have a thing called delayed implantation. And if they don't eat enough, the egg and the sperm will not plant in the uterine wall and they won't have babies. So as long as we secure our traps, they're not going to be getting the nutrients they need to reproduce. So they keep their own numbers in check. But being the wildlife management, they want 20% of them to be killed every year. And that's being done without any hunt. So, um, you know, I always tell the hunters, go ahead and thank your city and county commissioners for, you know, all of the loss of habitat because it's because of them. We will never need another hunt again. I also say thank you. Thank your poaching buddies as well. So I get all sassy when mm -hmm. it comes to that. Like, we need to kill the bears. I'm like, well, no, we need to all work <coughs> together to save the bears' habitat because their habitat is our habitat. You know, we all need the, the clean water and the land and the trees to breathe from. And when we destroy wildlife habitat, we're destroying our own quality of life. And that's what's happening in a widespread manner across Florida, as we can tell what happened with Hurricane Ian. A lot of houses were built in places they weren't supposed to be built. And uh, it's tragic that these people have paid the price for, you know, government mismanagement. It's just, um, it's a tragedy all around and the flooding. And, you know, in Seminole County, in both of our homes, Chilean and Geneva, they're like uh, disaster areas. And we had National Guard in Geneva. We had the National Guard in Geneva because of all the flooding from the rivers and the lakes. And that's a scary thing. That is a scary thing. And um, yes, and it's now... Monday, the week after the hurricane, and, and fortunately, we're both here to talk about it, but yeah. we are also here to observe the devastation um, to our homes and mm -hmm. our habitat and our animals, and um, I think we're a long way from knowing even yet what yeah. the true numbers are going to be on there. Oh, yeah, it's horrible. I, mean, I think last I read, there was over 40 people that perished, and that's, that's not even the beginning of finding out what's going on and you know there's 40 people what about all the animals that were left behind or that they couldn't be moved I always think about the wildlife sanctuaries and uh something as simple as the gopher tortoise is being drowned Absolutely. Know, I wanted to get back to my pasture where um Leo my horse is because we have five gopher tortoise burrows in there and you know I'm like oh my gosh did they get drowned and um so they survived because it was high and dry but so many other places like out at the Yarborough property where they're wanting to do a development. There's tons of gopher torches out there. And I had a drone guy go out and that was flooded. What if those 300 homes had been there? How do we know people wouldn't have died, wouldn't have perished? And at the very least, their homes would have been destroyed. You know, so there's a place to put uh, development in homes and there's places not to. And, and uh, my feeling is, you know, if there's any one good thing that comes from Hurricane Ian, it's going to be a lesson and hopefully a cautionary tale to our, our government decision makers 
as to, okay, you know, we've been telling y'all this for years, but it took a hurricane to tell y'all stop building in our green spaces, in our pastures, in our forests. So, you know, if we can just focus on rebuilding the existing impervious surfaces along the 1792 corridor. There's already concrete there. There's already infrastructure. It saves taxpayer money. It makes, you know, profits for our developers. Everyone, it can be a win-win when we do, uh, you know, when we build in a way or when we practice capitalism that has an eco-responsible angle to it. So I just call it ethical capitalism. You're doing, making money, doing the right thing for our wildlife and the planet. And you, there's no losers in that. Everybody yeah, I love that idea. And as a country girl, um, yes, it pains me to see all the development yes. that's going on. Um, I spend my weekends horseback riding and, you know, don't want to give up. Uh, we have fabulous horseback riding in this area. And I think a lot of people don't even realize yeah. Um, how many natural lands we have and, and we, we hate to see those go to waste. We do, yeah, and we definitely need it. Seminole County, where our motto is Florida's natural choice, and uh, I think it's kind of hypocritical that we call ourselves the natural choice and sell that to people out of state. Like, hey, move here. We have the best schools and we have the best nature spots. And to say that, knowing that, you know, they're, they're paving over all these, we definitely, at the very minimum, Seminole County needs a natural land buying program like we used to have. And, um, you know, we need to invest in buying these lands and, and the land owners can make money. The land goes on conservation forever. Our quality of life increases. We have those places to ride the horses and the hike and the kayak. And um, it's just such, it's just such a winning solution for everyone. I just don't, it boggles my mind and to wonder like, why isn't this already a thing? Why is it taking me and other, you know, all these, I call it simple citizens, or simple-minded citizens from the country to say, no, this is the way we should do it. So like I said, hopefully something positive will come from the hurricane. And I think that's going to be it. I think this is a, a, a wake up call for mother nature. Like you've been doing the wrong thing. You've been going in the wrong direction. You know, you didn't switch it around when we gave you all these clues. Now, look what we had to do. We had to devastate this area, but hopefully we'll start to understand. Yeah. Here's your sign, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, who was that? Jeff Foxworthy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the Jeff Foxworthy of hurricanes. Um, so let's talk about something else that's pretty exciting. Um, you've been working on a bear habitat up in the North Panhandle. Oh, that's, um, yeah, yeah. So we've been wanting for many years to have a bear sanctuary because of, as you've seen, you know, a lot of, unfortunately, there's bad things that happen to our bears from getting hit by a car. Um, can't imagine hitting a bear with a car. No. Okay. Well, I did once. Oh. And let me tell you, I haven't told many people about this, but it was traumatic and I did it. I couldn't see the bear. So now, um, anyway, we can go into that later if you want, but it is sad. And what's even sadder is, that bears don't have a middle ground. So um, the FWC tells us if there's an injured bear, they're resilient, they heal, so they can either go off into the woods and heal on their own, or the FWC will step in if they need to be euthanized. There's no, like every other species of wildlife can go to a rehab center, even manatees. They have sea world. They have wonderful uh, places at SeaWorld. SeaWorld even takes uh, water birds. And, you know, you can take a raccoon or an injured possum or a bird, everything, even snakes. They all have these rescue and rehab areas to set bears. And so 
Oh, you know Lori. You mm-hmm. know Lori Hood. So um, I met Lori at that animal bar section meeting, and you were at that. I think you were invited. I hosted to that. Yes, yes, you hosted it. So um, we were talking about that, but Lori's the one that sort of took over the um, the reins on that, and she has 800 acres up at her wildlife sanctuary and rehab, and she, I think she's still trying to get official um, permission from FWC to have a bear sanctuary. Uh, the and what we don't want it to be in FWC is like, well, we don't need a bear sanctuary. They need to be in the wild. And yes, that's true. But they also need a rehab and medical center. And what's perfect about Lloyd's Place, Aliqua, is they have these 800 acres. So, you know, once an animal, once a bear gets hurt and they go there and get all doctored up. And when they're ready to release, they can be released in this area that's safe. You know, there's no poaching going on in this 800 acres and it's all near a national forest or, um, yeah, this is a national forest. So everything is great about that. And she's making a lot of headway on that. So we want to thank Lori. Yeah. So listeners that want more information um, can listen to the podcast that we did with Lori Hood from Aliquah Animal Rescue. Um, They're doing some amazing work up there and yeah. I love all these partnerships between oh, the various you. individuals, yourself and Aliqua and yeah. um, all of the different rescue organizations that when they work together um, can really make oh, some yeah. wonderful things happen. Yes, yeah. We actually, there was a, a hurt bear in Seminole County, I think it was last year, um, with this poor bear. Um, I think he was missing, he or she was missing one arm, the back, uh, she's also limping on her back leg and so called the FWC and and this was a prime example of why we need a bear sanctuary. And uh, we raised money. because so I told the FWC, if you can catch the bear and you need to doctor the bear, we'll raise money. And I did a, a fundraiser. We got over $2,000 from people. And I said, you know, if this doesn't go toward the bear's medical bills, it sounds like a person, the medical or whatever, we could make it for the bear sanctuary. So I don't think they found that bear. However, there are other three-legged bears in Seminole, and that's from traps, and we can go into that later. But um, I took the check that I got from the greater good, you know, the $2,000 check, and I drove it up to Lori and gave it to Elephant because that's the closest thing we're going to get to a bear sanctuary and rehab center. Yep. So it went to good use, and hopefully um, we're going to get her some more funding so we can, you know convince the FWC that this is very much needed and, you know, partner with the FWC is. Yeah. And I bet people don't know that bears are one of the only species that don't have their own rehab facility. Exactly. No, they don't. We don't need one. So apparently it's hard to rehab bears um, because if they're in an enclosure and they're used to being a wild bear, they can sometimes break their teeth biting the fence trying to get out and Mike Orlando the head bear biologist of FWC explained to me once that they actually there was a bear that had been hit by a car they put a metal rod in the bear's arm and um they were trying to keep the bear in a smaller area so he or she could heal and the bear re-broke the metal rod because they're just um you know, they're so wound up and, and scared. And, you know, you're you're in the wild your whole life and then you wake up and I'm sure you have some pain in your arm. You're in the small cage and they freaked out. So he said that's the main reason why we don't have 
a bear sanctuary and rehab center because they are harder to rehab than other animals. Well, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Well, and in order to do all this good work, you need supporters uh -huh. and donors, mm -hmm. and you do a couple of fundraising events. Do you yeah. have one coming up? We do, yeah, the Black Bear Rump, and that is in the, it's a 5K that we have. We just had our first annual last year, where our uh, second one is coming up at the end of October, and it happens to fall on, it's October 22nd, last Saturday. And it's going to be the seventh anniversary of the Black Bear Hunt in Ooh, Florida. Okay. So this ties into that because when we stopped the Black Bear Hunt, we stopped the FWC from mandating a hunt. And then we found out, okay, they're, they're also killed in the other way when they go into somebody's trash. Then the FWC sometimes has to kill them because people will say, oh, they're here and they get habituated and... They so, become nuisance bears. Yes, they're labeled nuisance mm -hmm. unfairly, even though we're taking their home. And yeah. I don't want to get on that soapbox, but the, the, the nuisance label is unfair, but it is used to kill the bears. So we, um, along with, I've given out thousands and thousands of straps to help people secure their existing trash cans. But last year, we did this 5K to buy the bear-proof trash can. For some people that don't want to use the straps or can't use the straps, the bear-proof trash cans are always awesome. And we raised enough money last year to, I think we raised 40-something thousand with the 5K. And we were able to offer bear-proof trash cans at a 40% discount. So we were, I think we got 235 trash cans to people in the Wakaiba area. And that is where one of the bears named Gary uh, was killed because he was eating. And um, so that was done in honor of Gary. And to help people, you know, more peacefully coexist. And this year, of course, we're doing it again to help people peacefully coexist and, and secure their trash in a way that doesn't require the FWC to come out and kill our bears just for trying to survive in the trash. So that's coming up, and that's going to be exciting. Kids can do it, adults can do it, and you don't have to run the 5K. You can walk through the forest. It's just a wonderful event and a lovely peaceful hike or course. you can show up virtually as well yeah, and yeah. we're still in early registrations yes. so um people and people can sponsor have a couple of weeks yet to yeah. go ahead and register for that event yeah. all right and I keep forgetting it's october i know it's in a couple weeks so what else is happening that folks need to know about oh, katrina oh so we have a new program um we at bear warriors united so there's a three we try to do a three-step pro, uh, process for saving the bears. So one is education. Um, we give people education, how to secure their trash and remove attractants and you know what happened with the bear hunt and what caused us to start this. And so after education, then we offer the tools needed to peacefully coexist, which a lot of times it's the straps. I give out free straps to people and that helps them secure their trash. I've seen those, so, they're very yes. helpful, yes. And I've given out over 20,000 straps and bear care packages is what I call the whole, um, all of the little objects in there. And that has saved uh, taxpayers and local governments over $1.2 million from not having to buy the expensive bear food trash cans. Now, after we get people educated and then secure their trash, either with the straps or you know, through the 5K with our discounted bear food trash cans, then we figured, well, if we're taking away the bear's unhealthy food source, it's only fair that we replace it with a healthy food source. So now we're having this really fun program that so many people are uh, excited about participating in. 
and we uh, planted bare food gardens in the forest. So, you know, a lot of these urban sprawl neighborhoods back up to conservation areas, and there are very distinctive trails where the bears will come out of the woods. They know exactly which houses they go to, and then they'll either drag the whole trash can or the trash bag into the woods and, you know, their little litter bugs, and they can't help it. But if you go into these patches of woods, like, oh, yeah, you have to do these litter cleanups because they've taken the bag and they, you know, they sift through it in a place where they feel very comfortable and not threatened. So what we want to do and what we have been doing is planting their native food sources. And uh, while they are actual bare food gardens, it's really um, acceptable because what we're doing is restoring wildlife habitat, which is something we could all be doing. And, and, and you're not technically feeding the bears, you're just replacing the plants that were destroyed when this urban sprawl came in. So there are lots of uh, native plants that grow in Florida that the bears love to eat. Blueberries, one of their favorites. They love beauty berries. And um, so we have a whole list of plants that we're planting and we're gonna be asking plant nurseries to donate the food plants. So uh, then we're gonna get, we have gotten groups of volunteers to go into the woods and plant these. And it's worked pretty well. There's a couple uh, neighborhoods out in Black Hammock. And they called me a couple of years ago and said, we're, we have this one bear, he comes and eats all of our trash. So I did a presentation, which was education part. We, I gave out uh, the strap, so we secured their trash and it was right around Halloween. And so I said, you know what? Take your pumpkins, break them in half, and put them on that trail that the bear uses to come into your neighborhood. That's going to distract them or divert them. It's like a diversionary feeding process. And it worked like a charm. So we educated everyone, secured their trash, did the composting and the, um, the pumpkin on the trail. And I'll be darned if the bear didn't stop. He never came into that neighborhood again. And then we planted the native food plants and they've never seen the bear since. So it works and it's pretty easy. Um, but I think that's the most exciting thing right now because it's such a positive thing. And the Girl Scouts are getting in on it, the Boy Scouts and kids can get their volunteer hours for Bright Future Scholarship. And who doesn't love planting plants, you know, for our wildlife and our pollinators. And we even had over the summer, um, kids would grow plants at home the blueberry plants, all the uh, blackberry plants, everything that was on the native food plant list uh, for bears. And so they got to, um, over the summer, find out what grows best when and, um, you know, just sort of do a little food security for themselves and learning how to farm things and grow plants. So that's such a, that's another win-win-win program that we have. And just today, we um, I actually have an official employee of Bear Warriors United, our first, and she's going to be our liaison to uh, reach out to HOAs and different property management companies and say, hey, let us plant a pollinator garden or wildlife food gardens in the conservation areas around your neighborhood to keep the bears out and to you know help our native wildlife, which is struggling right now. So we're super excited to get that launched. Yeah, that sounds like fun. Yeah, thank you. Well, excellent. All right, we've been talking with uh, Katrina Shattuck. She is the founder of Bear Warriors United, um, but she doesn't limit her um, interest to just bears. She's interested in all of Florida's natural wildlife. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Katrina. Oh, thank you. Um, if you want more information about the upcoming Black Bear Romp, um, you can go to BW United, stands for Bear Warriors United, BWUnited.com. You can also find her on Facebook uh -huh. and other places. 
And um, if you have a good idea, if you'd like to volunteer, you'd like to donate, I'm sure that Katrina would be happy to um, hear that from you. So thank you so much, Katrina, for being with us today. And uh, thank you for listening to all my children wear fur coats. You know my motto, until there are none, please adopt one. And protect your pets with the Pet Trust. Uh, Visit us at All My Children Wear Fur Coats on Facebook and go to actforpets.org for more information on how to protect your pet with a pet trust. We'll see you next time. And until then, happy tales. Thank you for joining us on All My Children Wear Fur Coats with your host, Peggy Hoyt. We hope you learned something valuable for the benefit of your pet. We want to keep loved pets in loving homes by educating pet parents about the importance of ensuring every pet has a forever home. Get more information about creating a legacy for your pet at AnimalCareTrustUSA.org or LegacyForYourPet.com. Buy a copy of All My Children Wear Fur Coats, How to Leave a Legacy for Your Pet on Amazon. Join our email list or make a donation. Pet professionals and advisors are invited to join our trusted advisor network. Until next time, happy tales!